0: This is episode number 179 with data science recruiter, Matt Corey. Welcome to the super data science podcast. My name is Kirill Eremenko, data science coach and lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you inspiring people and ideas to help you build your successful career in data science. Thanks for being here today and now let's make the complex simple. Welcome back to the Super Data Science Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Super excited to have you on the show today and we've got a very interesting and insightful guest joining us. Matt Corey is a data science recruiter and what I found very interesting about Matt was that he actually specializes only in data science recruiting specifically just that niche and that's what we were talking about in this episode. You will find out many interesting tips and insights into what recruiters look for when finding. Candidates for a data science position. You will understand what to kind of expect from recruiters. Also, on the other hand, Matt will share some insights on how he works with his clients, the companies that are hiring, and you'll understand more about their thinking. What what are they looking for? What are their fears? What are their desires? What is driving them? And moreover, we'll talk about the intricate role of a good recruiter in data science. Not just a person who puts people in positions, but a person who acts as the bridge between the candidates and the clients, a person who... um Works with the expectations of clients because we all know that data science hasn't been around for that long, and yet a lot of companies expect have huge expectations. They're looking for unicorns. They're looking for people with ten years in, in data science experience and lots of different tools and techniques and methodologies and industry knowledge, which just physically don't exist. And so Matt will share his insights on how he goes about those situations and how he works with the clients themselves to manage their expectations. So if you are looking to hire data scientists, this episode is also going to be valuable for you. And finally, Matt has just recently published a book. You can buy it on Amazon. When we were recording the podcast, only the ebook version was available. But when this is going to go live, probably the hard copy is going to be available as well. It's called The Data Scientist's Book of Quotes. And I can't wait to get my hands on that book because it's got some very uh, valuable quotes. It's got over 300 quotes, and they're categorized by different areas of data science and different. Um, topics so I'm looking forward to getting that as well and we'll talk about the book and some he'll share some insights from there too so on that note can't wait for you to check out this episode without further ado I bring to you Matt Corey a data science recruiter Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Super Data Sense podcast. Today, I've got a very exciting guest on the show, Matt Horry. Welcome, Matt. How are you doing today? I'm fine, girl.
1: Thank you so much for uh, for inviting me. It's, it's um, a real pleasure.
0: It's pleasure is all mine, Matt. Where are you calling in from today?
1: I'm calling from beautiful London. Amazing, it's warm at the moment. Above, you 30 missed, degrees.
0: You, that's that's fantastic. Thirty degrees Celsius. Thirty degrees Celsius. yes. <laughs> just for our US listeners, that's that's. Um, I should find out. I'll find out what it is in um, Fahrenheit. Um, it is eighty six degrees Fahrenheit. Quite a lot for London. Uh, quick question: yeah. You mentioned that it's been warm for quite a while now, and you've been in London for twenty years. How warm has it been for a long? How long has it been warm for now?
1: It's been warm. Yeah, it's a great question. Thank you. Um, yeah, it's it's been warm now for about. Almost a month, mm. and I'm talking about maybe one day where it, it rained, possibly like a couple of days in the sort of in the evening. But in general, it's been a good month of just solid sun. Really,
0: fantastic. That is totally, totally fantastic. First time I went to London was last year. I got there first day. It was sunny, and I thought, "What is everybody talking about? Why, why the rain? The bad weather? It seems lovely." But then on the second day, that's when the rain started, and it was like four times in a day it was raining. So, yeah, I'm a bit, um, I'm actually very excited for you right now that it's such a good time of the year.
1: Yeah, no, it's amazing. It's, uh, it's, you know, it's kind of expected because it's, you know, obviously, you know, the sort of summer period, but it's not always like that. And this is really, really a treat this year. So, um, you know, talking about sort of climate change and all that, it it is happening, you know, and it is a lot warmer now than, than ever. I mean, this is, uh, we're in London and it's kind of Mediterranean weather. Yeah, So we're blessed.
0: Yeah, okay. Yeah, something to be concerned about as well, I guess. Well, okay. So Matt, you are a data scientist uh, recruitment provider uh, your advisor, speaker, uh, and now a book author and we'll talk about that in a second. Tell us Thank quickly you. from from a high level perspective, what do you do as a data scientist recruitment
1: provider? Wow, well, well uh, very simply, I first of all it is a niche. Uh, it is only data scientists that I provide to uh, clients and organizations. So it is exclusively, uh, data scientists, unlike others who choose to do the whole sort of data science um, um, sort of portfolio in terms of analysts and engineers and architects, um, I felt that there was a real uh, importance and need for data scientists to um, um, to have that that very sort of special role in terms of providing that the insights and I think that, with uh, over the years, what I've seen is that more and more it's, it's a role that is going to take a sort of predominant role within, uh, within changing business and um, providing sustainability and also really being able to maximize the data that is already inherent within organizations. So that's why I chose to only focus on data scientists.
0: Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And how long have you been doing that for?
1: It's been um, a little bit under a year. hmm
0: Okay, and so you, you've been helping data scientists get roles uh, in the past year and wh- where did you come from in,
1: into this space? Where, was the, where, did, where were you? Before? So my background is within HR, human resources, and uh, I started off my career as a generalist HR person, then focused uh, within recruitment and at some point I then became a, um, an independent contractor. And um, there were a few changes in the market, and I decided to set up my own recruitment practice. And I initially started off within change and transformation. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: But within, um, as I mentioned, about almost a year ago now, I felt that um, that was a bit too broad Mm -hmm. and I wanted to really focus on and zero in on one certain position that was so very, very important. And I had seen a film called uh, Moneyball, which you might have Mm -hmm. seen with Mm -hmm. uh, Brad Pitt. Mm -hmm. And, um, and there were certain things that were sort of that were coming up into my, into my life and, and seeing the film and then reading a few articles. And then suddenly it was like, wow, you know, data, data science, that's the real change. That's really what's happening. And I then just dived in and just read as much as I could, asked people about it, and just eventually just set it up as, um, uh, as a data scientist recruitment practice.
0: Gotcha. Mm-hmm. And so, how's it been going? You've been doing it, uh, you know, the, the, the whole transformation uh, and change you've been doing for uh, quite a while now, but the data science part that you've been doing for the past year, how has that been going? Have you uh, been able to help many people?
1: Yeah, I have helped many people, um, either in terms of uh, placements or in terms of advice or in terms of helping them with their CVs. Mm-hmm.
2: Uh,
1: I get a lot of people from across the globe. Um, you know, my, my LinkedIn connections have just sort of skyrocketed Um, I'm currently doing a promotion for, um, as a sort of summer promotion for one person to get a a free, um, CV and sort of LinkedIn profile rewrite. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it's just been massive in terms of the, the response and people being interested in and thanking me. And, uh, um, you know, it's, it's, you know, the thing is what's happening is that the data science, it is a community. It really, really is a community. Mm -hmm. Unlike, unlike anything else that I've ever seen. True. I was in HR in HR before in change and transformation, but data science is a real community. They really join. They really help each other a lot.
0: Yeah, yeah, I totally agree with that. And they share and they like comment, give feedback, like in a positive way on what can be improved. You know, resources like uh, like LinkedIn articles that people are sharing and writing about their learning pathways, or uh, mm-hmm. GitHub code that people are sharing with each other, or comments on Tableau public dashboards or Kaggle yes. competitions. And you know how they, how data scientists collaborate on Kaggle competitions? It's very mm-hmm. exciting to see people from different parts of the planet actually come together to do these projects. So couldn't agree with you more on that one.
1: Yeah, it's, it's incredible. It's a very giving community. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Very excited to be part of it. And uh, so in terms of like, you mentioned a couple of things. You mentioned you, you help people with placements, um, mentoring, uh, also um, rewriting CVs or advice on how to write them, um, mm-hmm. LinkedIn profiles, and so on. Could you give us a bit more insights into like the different aspects that uh, a recruiter does? So like, what is what is the job of a recruiter in the space of data science? Um, like those items that you help people with and maybe a bit more details on those. Yeah. Um, well, I mean
1: what i do is uh, you know it's a little bit beyond um what i would say a normal recruiter does and mm-hmm. i think that's where that's it's you know because of my specialism and in, in being exclusively uh, a data scientist recruit I mean, practice or a recruiter yep um i have a, a sort of a, a greater a greater sort of insight and a greater focus on, on what i'm doing mm-hmm. um and i also want them to succeed so i mean i know that personally apart from some people who work with me um, and, and, you know, work for me, they, I I know, and I try to also tell them that you need to also coach people at times. You need to help them. You need to, they need sort of um, uh, some preparation in terms of their interviews. At times there's an issue of confidence. Mm -hmm. Uh, They need to maybe at times improve their communication style. So it, it is about, it's not just about sending a CV or a resume. It's also about helping this person. This person is having Um, you know, this will have a major impact in their life, on their family, on, on their whole, uh, their whole sort of, um, circle within either their family, their friends, their life, their children. And it's, it creates a a major impact. You know, uh, that's, I think, one of the reasons why I'm in recruitment is because when you help that one person get a job, um, you know, you make a major impact in their lives, Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And it goes way beyond just, um, you know, just getting them a job, just, you know, slot them in. It's about also helping them. They, I've seen so many people change, not because of the job, but because of the process of getting to the job. Mm. It's, it's not the end destination, it's the journey that matters, right? It is the journey. It's the process. Yeah, definitely.
0: Mm-hmm. Fantastic. And um, I, an interesting question I had in mind while you were speaking. Uh, like it came to me, how often do you see people looking for a new job because they are unhappy in their current job? Not because you know simply data science is is the trendy thing to be in, but actually because when they were choosing their original job, they found something with for high pay or something that was available, something that that sounded really interesting, but they didn't do enough research to understand is this the right thing for them? So how often does that happen that people are really unhappy with their in their role and therefore they're looking for new opportunities?
1: Um, interesting question. I mean, I, I'm going to have to answer it in, in a slightly different way, just mm-hmm. sort of like so I can see sure. how I can best answer this. Sure. Um, I would say that, you know, there's there's passive candidates and there's active candidates. Mm-hmm. I would say that because of the way I work and and others uh, with me, um, you know, the market is primarily, we we always approach the passive candidates as much as possible. It's not just about the active candidates. The active, when I say the word active candidates, they are the ones out there saying, here's my CV, I'm leaving in a week, you know. And you have the passive ones who are in roles, so who are either happy to answer your going back to your original question or possibly unhappy ha- and have accepted it. Oh, okay. Um, but we always approach um, passive candidates as well, because we're looking for certain people with certain experience from certain industries. Great. So Because our, cli- our client is looking for that.
0: Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. So you kind of act as a headhunter for, for the businesses, for the
1: clients that, that need uh, those skills. Yes. I mean, it, it is a matter of also looking at, you know, we have our own database, of yep. course. We have our own network. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have my own network uh, that 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 I know. I have then my LinkedIn sort of network. Mm-hmm. I then have the database. I then mm-hmm. also have, um, you know, people who know people who mm-hmm. I then um, seek out, you know, let's just say as an example, uh, a data scientist who's worked in retail um, and... I have a client who's like saying, I definitely want someone from this company, XYZ company in retail, uh, or I definitely don't. I I want someone completely different. I don't want anyone from retail. I want someone from banking Mm -hmm. or financial services, and then who has so much experience in this specific area. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's about... Then looking for that, that person. Now, that individual, again, what I mentioned earlier, may be happy with where they are. They may not be that happy.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, they might be happy with their salary, but they don't like their boss. They don't like their manager.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, but they're also then weighing it up and saying to themselves, the salary is good. Mm. My boss is so-so. But people normally leave not because of the money necessarily, of the salary or the package. It, they usually leave because of the environment within the company. <laughs> gotcha, no, I really agree. Okay, interesting, interesting. All right, and then, so
0: on our podcast and just in, in our community of students, we have quite a large portion of listeners and uh, data scientists, or, or not actually data scientists yet, but listeners and students who are in adjacent fields, are in either IT or something uh, similar like uh, system administration, Uh, something to do with technology, and they want to move into data science. What what Mm -hmm. would your advice be for them? What is the current status of the job market in data science? Is it a good idea to move from IT, business intelligence, um, uh, system administration, and so on, into the
1: space of data science? Absolutely. Of course. Uh, it's, It's going to be... I mean, I think that Every business out there in the future, if that's in five years, if that's in ten years, will be talking about um, that they spoke to the data scientist consultant or, the, or their data scientist within the company. It will be an absolute norm in future. So um, do I think it's – yes, absolutely. Anyone who wants to get out of their position, if it's from business intelligence or from IT or you know whoever is – has an interest, is passionate about data science, or to become a data scientist, do it. You know, if, if they're to do courses with you or, or other providers, uh, absolutely, definitely. Gotcha,
0: okay. And so uh, you mentioned courses. What are the best steps to make this transition? Where, what is even the starting point? Like, I get this question a lot. Where would somebody start if they want to transition into data science? The thing is that there's a lot of, like, there's a lot of demand for data science skills, right? And yes. some people have already a lot of experience in something very similar to data science, some kind of field that they can they can leverage their experience from. But at the same time, they're not technically qualified to apply for data science jobs that require five years of experience. So somebody might have 10 years of experience in IT um, or programming or database design, uh, but there's a job that requires five years of data science experience. What would you say is the first step, and how do people? How should people think about their prior experience? Should they be like, okay, well, that prior experience that I have is actually now irrelevant, and I should start from scratch, or should they find ways to demonstrate the value that they provided and actually show that it is relevant to their uh, the role that they're seeking?
1: How how can? Well, you know, again, a very good question. Um, it's um, It comes down to the specific role. It comes down to uh, also how long, not how long, how many years they're actually looking for. Um, so when you have a job description, you have a role, you have a job description and it says essential. And this is where we split the thing, you know, we split things that we say essential criteria and desirable criteria.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, as an essential criteria, it is something that they essentially want you to have. And at times it's flexible. It could be Uh, We want experience, no, experience in or proven successful experience in. Mm -hmm. That makes it quite broad. If it's uh, essential three years experience in and you don't have it and you only have one year, then you're completely then, you know, crossed out and you're not, you're not being considered at all. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: So it is about, you know, uh, evaluating where you are, you know, do I, can I go for this role? If they're asking for, I mean, let, let's put this more specific. I mean, if I mentioned the example earlier about retail. If they're asking for a data scientist to have experience, of three years' experience within a retail environment yep. of, of successful implementing uh, projects, et cetera, um, you know, predictive analytics, et cetera, and then you don't have it, then you can't really apply for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, unless unless the field is not, hasn't really... Uh, they can't find someone to have the three years experience, but they have someone who has two years experience or a year and a half. Mm-hmm. They might then either rewrite the job description and allow that person to to apply. That's what normally ought to be, to be done. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it comes down to what the employer is looking for and where that person is. And to what extent the employer is willing to be flexible and to what extent the prospective employee is willing to either train themselves up Go off and do a course, um, reapply in future, or would be considered today because the company is willing to train him or her to reach the level that they are expecting. I I hope Kirill sort of answers your question. Mm. Yeah, no,
0: that's that's. uh, I I appreciate your comment on that. Uh, I I just wanted like uh, to see what what about what about this scenario? For instance. The job description says in retail, data science, application, prediction, modeling in retail, and so on. Three years mm-hmm. of experience. And the person mm-hmm. applying has, let's say, same three years of experience, but not in retail, not in data science. Um, they have three years of experience in business intelligence and reporting uh, in the healthcare industry. Something mm-hmm. kind of like technologically they, they uh, relevant, but not exactly the same thing and not even in the same industry. But now this person, instead of completely foregoing this opportunity and completely giving up on it, what they do is they go and do an online course in data science in retail. They um, go to Kaggle and download data sets about retail data. They go to the World Bank or, or some other sources of uh, data science and retail and, uh, and data sets relevant to that problem. And actually do projects. They demonstrate the capacity. So over the next six months, they do six major projects. They write articles on LinkedIn. They write six blog posts on LinkedIn. They uh, share their code on GitHub. They uh, do visualization Mm. dashboards on Tableau Public. They do a Kaggle competition and they take like 17th place and so on. And so they demonstrate that even though they don't have the three years of experience, they are capable of producing the results that the employer wants. What will happen in that situation? It is um, I know I know like it's a case by case basis depending on the employer. But do you think that strategy that approach actually has a chance with the right employers for that person to get hired, or is it like yes. a
1: lost cause? Uh, personally, I believe that they have. Uh, yes, the answer is yes, and it would be they have a very good chance. It also depends on how flexible the employer or the hiring manager is. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they are savvy enough in terms of all these mediums and and are aware of, of the value of them and are willing to consider all these things, fantastic. But I think a non-data science person uh, or someone who's not, not immersed in, enough and in, not sort of involved enough and not aware enough, uh, they would take it very, very strictly and just cross it out. I mean, very, very open about it, but it comes down to what extent, who's actually going to be shortlisting mm-hmm. for this role yep. and, and how, uh, how strict the criteria is. Mm-hmm. So gotcha. if the hiring manager tells, for example, HR, uh, I only want this, do not consider anything else. I don't want to see anything from uh, anything. I just want to see exactly that. I can get 500 people tomorrow who have something which is slightly different. I don't want that. I'm looking for exactly that. So it really comes down to how flexible and how uh, open-minded they are to accept other other related transferable experience.
0: Gotcha. Okay. And and then, then flipping the coin onto this other side, what would you say to hiring managers who are listening to this podcast or to... Um, entrepreneurs or business owners who are looking to hire data scientists should they be flexible or should they look specifically for that type of person that uh, from that industry with that experience like I'll tell you my my opinion on this I think that mm-hmm. there is so much demand in the space of data science that being inflexible can be costly in terms of time and in terms of the talent that you buy, that you you pass by but like, I'm really interested to hear your opinion because you're in this space, and you might say, no, no, no. Look, you have to like, if you really want something specific, you gotta, you gotta stick to it and, and go for it. So, um, what 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 are your thoughts on?
1: No, thank you. I mean, you're obviously an entrepreneur, and you understand that one has to be flexible. Uh, one has to be open-minded, and I think that's that's a certain mindset that not everyone has. Um, the I personally, I do. Um, make recommendations. I do at times, depending on my relationship with, with the client, uh, I I would then uh, you know adapt and say, look, I think that this person um, is hitting the mark. They're not hitting the mark in exactly the way the job description has been written. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe this person doesn't have the three years experience. However, you are looking for this and this and this. Mm-hmm. And in order for this project that you have at the moment that you want someone to have, it doesn't necessarily require three years of experience because he or she has actually done this Kaggle project, uh, has been on GitHub and has done very relevant things here. Um, if you go on their website and you look at the projects they've done or on Kaggle, you'll see that they've come up, you know they've been quite high up in terms of you know where they rank and, and they've done really well. And, and a lot of these comments are actually very relevant to what you're looking for.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, you know, and it's also, you know, it's my reputation as well on the line because I'm then talking to a client who trusts me yep. Um, and I also don't want to put forward a person who I think cannot do the job. I'd rather just say, you know what, I'm sorry, I can't find someone. Mm -hmm. And my rule is also to send very few resumes over. Mm -hmm. I don't like to send, if someone is, is a client of mine is looking for one person, I don't send 10 CVs or Mm -hmm. resumes. I send, you know, maybe a maximum of four, Mm uh, because I want it to be the absolute best ones. And if I send only one, then my client knows that Matt has sent me the best CV uh, because that is the only one that he really believes in enough. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, it's at times you, you have to challenge in a nice way your client Mm -hmm. because you're there to also inform him or her that, um, you know, I think in this case you ought to see him or her because they have very relevant experience. I think You'll you'll very quickly find out if you don't want to see him or her in person, and you would like to have maybe like a ten minute chat with them. I recommend at least that. Mm-hmm. But I would say, um, I would definitely say, let's say for example, this person is in another country, and if for the obvious reason, we're going to have a we're going to have a Skype interview. We're going to have a you know some sort of a chat online. You know, don't fly this person in if you have some reservations. <laughs> have a chat with him first. Uh, no, because I say that because I have lived the experience of where we would when I worked as an internal recruiter where at times maybe, um, you know, we would maybe not thoroughly check it. And that's something which I had my own views, but, you know, you have to also work with everyone and at times, uh, not everyone is perfect. Yep. And uh, so it's about also, you know, it's, it goes back to what we said earlier about having that flexibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and being sort of uh, understanding what the objectives are and, and seeing if this person can actually make this happen for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I
0: agree. And so basically that that's a great transition to uh, the um, I guess the, the overview of your role or role of a data science recruiter. It's it's not just to like find, you know, headhunt the the right people and it's also not just like for the, for the client. And it's also not just for the um, individuals who are looking for jobs job to put them into the jobs. Your role as I see it is much Bigger than that, it's actually being that middleman and being that advisor slash negotiator who guides this flexibility. And it's, it's exactly what you said that you need to sometimes. Clients, especially in the space of data science, which is so new, they're looking for something that you know, like is a unicorn that doesn't exist. That you know, a person with ten years of experience in data science and Hadoop and this and this, when some of those technologies haven't even been around. and so you that's where this um advice and like kind of shaping up the expectations of the client comes in and, and i wanted to draw on my own experience uh, in this matter and uh, this is going back to when i was leaving deloitte i was looking for a job and sometimes i would get contacted by companies directly like for instance uh, two banks contacted me about uh, potentially working with them and sometimes i would get in touch with recruiters and i remember this specific case a recruiter went onto my LinkedIn and I saw that they looked at my profile but they didn't say they didn't message me or say anything so I hunted them down messaged them myself and said hey like um I noticed you saw my profile is there anything I can help you with and they said well look your profile looks interesting but um the job we're recruiting for or job I'm recruiting for is not uh is like requires more work experience so this was a role in a pension fund that required six years of experience, and I only had two years of data science experience at Deloitte and some work experience prior to that, not in the field of data science. Um, and in total, it wasn't even close to six years. And so, as you can imagine, that's quite a large difference, you know, six years in data science versus two years in data science plus a bit of work in, a, in an unrelated field or in a not in a specifically data science field. Mm-hmm. And um, nevertheless, what I told them is like, let's catch up. And I'll send you my CV, tell you about the projects I've done, bring a portfolio of the projects I've done, like a desensitized portfolio of the projects I've done, um, just to showcase or the projects that I I can do, um, to showcase my abilities and show you that I can actually deliver for this client. And in the end, after we caught up, they they really thought that I can do the job. They recommended my CV to the clients. And when I went for the interview, I got the job. So, oh, fantastic. Yeah, it, fantastic. and yeah, that's where I worked for um, uh, a year after that. And so, yeah, so it just stands to show that sometimes, or qu- actually quite often, especially with large larger corporations, uh, where the processes of recruiting are standardized, they are still not entirely adapted to the situation in the data science job market and just the, the profession as a whole. And so they mm-hmm. need people like you, Matt, to... Mm-hmm adjust their expectations to be more flexible and eventually to get the candidates that might not meet the criteria exactly, but that will get the job done, or actually maybe even get the job done better than who they thought they were looking for. So um, my question would be to you here is, how often does that happen? How often does it happen that you help the client be
1: more flexible? Yeah, I think that's an excellent question. Uh, for many reasons, because I think that has that is also a reflection of not just the data science world, but this is also a reflection of what you're entering into an area, which is fantastic, because um, I think it's something which isn't really discussed enough. And I mm-hmm. think it's something which the industry, when I talk about the industry now, I'm going to talk about the recruitment industry as recruiters.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I think really this is a, a major, major um issue that exists, I think, for recruiters, because it, it, it's, it comes down to the recruiter being confident enough to, so the recruiter in your case, for example, was um, open enough and flexible enough and adaptable to mm-hmm. allow your CV, your resume to be taken on board, to allow your experience and then have the confidence to discuss this with their client. Mm-hmm. Because your your background was not straightforward in terms of, you know, that, that recruiter had to actually, to some extent, convince the client to see you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, exactly. Uh, and that comes down to, you know, I'll, I'll use the word backbone or, or confidence or, uh, you know, to, to say, actually, you know what, I'm going to ask the client and, and say, Mr. or Ms. Client, you know, you, I know that your job description says this. I know that this is what you're looking for in terms of the essential criteria. However, I have met someone who is meeting this, but in a slightly different way. It doesn't meet the years. However, their experience is such that I think we ought to consider him in mm-hmm. your case. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that, that comes down to the recruiter being confident and flexible enough and being able to, to in a way, in a nice way, challenge their client mm-hmm. and also then the second party, which is the actual client, to be, again, open enough and flexible and adaptable enough to allow another resume or CV to come forward, which is not exactly the way the job description has been um, uh, presented. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, gotcha. So how, like, what would you say? Is its is it 50% of your clients that you, you advise that way? Is it 80% or is it 20%? I just want to get a gauge for how is the industry shaping up? Like, I, I know that, a few years ago that would have been predominantly the case that people like people are getting these job descriptions very wrong how, how how is it right now
1: i think it's changing because you're we're now having a lot more people who are the hiring managers are usually um, data science professionals so when i deal with head of data science head of data science um, professionals who are hiring for their team mm-hmm. Um, they are aware of what the role is because they are essentially data scientists themselves. The difference is that they're also head of data science, so they are running a team.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, it is rare, so far for me, to have people who are unrelated to data science be hiring data scientists. Mm-hmm. So, hence, they know yeah. you know the nuts and bolts of what is required. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, if you if you were to hire a data scientist tomorrow, you know what you're looking for because you also have that inside track. Of knowing, a, what you're looking for, and b, you've been there before.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah, gotcha. Okay, so um, any ballpark estimate?
1: Often, um, I'd say that the moment the majority. I mean, to give you an exact percentage, I would say, you know, at the moment for, for me at least here in London, um, it's normally about seventy to eighty percent of people are data science professionals, mm-hmm. and and. I don't necessarily need to um, challenge them in that sense because they know what they're looking for. I can there's always going to be some sort of flexibility. I mean, if they say three years, mm-hmm. but it's not so much years, it's more about having a certain experience. Mm-hmm. And and but I, I do admit that there is a, there's a very strong industry preference. Mm-hmm. So I do have clients who are very specific in terms of having that industry experience. So if it's retail, they want retail. Mm-hmm. It's quite rare that you hear, I don't want, you know, they're in retail and they say, I don't want anyone in retail. Yep. That's quite rare Yeah, that, that, because there's a certain comfort that that's, and that is, I'm going to say that that is disappointing because I've also been on the other side of the fence as a candidate mm-hmm. where, When I finished off with a client years ago who was in FMCG, Mm -hmm. uh, fast moving consumer goods, and at that time in the market, there was a real boom about having financial services or banking, Mm -hmm. which I didn't have, and so they were so. I'm going to use the word fixated Mm -hmm. on having that to the extent that like we were all kind of anyone who wasn't in that who didn't have that industry experience was just like not not invited. Mm-hmm. And so I've lived it as a candidate. I know how that feels. And it's, it can be very frustrating, especially when you have so much experience that as a recruiter, um, you know, I personally have done so many different areas that, you know, a recruiter is a professional and they adapt. And if it's, you know, if you want me to find you a sales manager or a sales director, or you want me to find you a fundraising director, or you want me to find you Ahead of data science, or you want to, you know, there's a point where a recruiter becomes so adept that he or she is going to learn the industry, learn the role or the roles, uh, yeah. and be, and also know the, the, the competitors as well, well enough. I mean, a true professional, that's what, you know, one does. You, you immerse yourself so much in understanding what the role is. You even go and do, um, you know, you spend a day, in this case, for example, today, with a data scientist, you know, you go and, 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 you know, you ask your client, "Can I can I sit in for within the meeting and understand things how how they work here?" Yeah, so it, it's it's about immersing yourself, and yeah, it is about. Um, but to go back to your original sort of uh, question, it really comes down to the person. The majority of them, um, in my case, are uh, data science professionals.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, gotcha. Um, and what you mentioned about the industry focus, I agree with you. It is disappointing because, uh, in addition to your points, it is such a flexible profession, like knowing how to deal with data in the health industry and then taking that skill and learning how to deal with data in um, in the entertainment industry or in the uh, public services industry, it, It's it takes, you know, like a couple of weeks maximum for somebody to gain that, all that domain knowledge, the core domain knowledge. Of course, there's going to be like details that you will learn along the way, but it, the, da- the working with the data part of the skill is extremely transferable. Like, and I know that coming from consulting, where at Deloitte. One day I was working on a railway, another day I was working like uh, analytics for a ra- railway company, another day I was working mm. on a healthcare industry, another one I was working for a mining services company. So very, very transferable skills. If I was recruiting for a data scientist right now, and I was in a specific industry, the last thing I would put on my job description is industry-specific experience. Because... Ultimately, that is not relevant at all. What are your thoughts? Do you agree with me on that or do you have different opinions? Um, I
1: agree and I, I agree and I'm going to say both. I, I'm, I'm sort of on, on the fence with it because I'll tell you why. Okay. It comes down to as, as an individual, I'm absolutely 100% behind you mm-hmm. because I want to give everyone a chance. Yep. I think it comes down to also how pressing it is. Because if the industry is quite uh, complex and if, for example, there's a project that involves someone to, you know, the expression hit the ground running and really be able to very, very quickly be um, knowledgeable enough to, to such an extent that they would have to really know the industry well, because the project is for three months, the project is for six months max, Mm-hmm. And it really requires someone to have a certain amount of industry experience. That is where I would say I understand it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah. If, if it was a permanent role, I would say no. I don't think it requires this in this case. And also depending on depending on the role in general. Mm-hmm. But I think the more the less time you have, I think it is. I think it's justifiable to say it is all right. Uh, but again, depending on how important the role is with respect to having some industry experience Mm -hmm.
0: yeah okay makes total sense um and can you tell us a bit how often do you recruit for permanent roles versus temporary roles like you mentioned six 12 month project what what is the kind of the
1: split that uh, companies are looking for it's primarily uh, in my case here in london it's primarily or in the uk i would say it's more so on the permanent side than, than the temporary. Uh, I've also worked more in the permanent market. Um, mm-hmm. But I would say, um, so far for me, um, it's been more on the perm side. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. W-
0: why would you say that is? Is that because people companies want to build out their internal data science
1: divisions more than they just want to get a project done? Uh, I think it's also, there's a, there's a cost element as well because when you hire someone on a permanent basis, it is um, more cost effective as well. Mm -hmm. Um, When you hire someone in this country, at least on a temporary basis, you're hiring them as a contractor, Mm -hmm. you're paying them more, uh, much more than you would be paying them on a permanent contract. Mm -hmm. Or at least uh, in this country, again, we we also have a term called fixed term contract, which is for a year or two years. Mm -hmm. um, Which can be, so if I gave you a salary in terms of UK pounds, um, so if I said to you that someone's earning 70,000 pounds, UK sterling, uh, versus someone who's earning then, you know, um, what can I say, um, you know, uh, a salary like from 70,000, then they would be earning something like, I don't know, if they were earning 600, 700 a day, mm-hmm. 800 a day, 900, 1,000, for example, a day,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, that is a very, very different um a very different sort of model mm-hmm. in terms of hiring someone on that basis. And it's quite costly.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: in this case also, um, in this country at the moment, public sector, which is government doesn't normally hire at that rate as much. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's been, you know, things have changed here. So it, it comes down to also, are we talking about the private sector or the public sector? So In other words, private sector, of course, private companies or public sector, meaning government. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, you know, if we if we look at this as a global podcast, you know, every country uh, is different. You know, yeah. if it's the U.S., if it's in India, if it's Australia, if it's you know the U.K., if it's mm-hmm. Germany, etc. Every single market. I mean, now we're talking about sort of local differences. Yeah. Okay. Fair
0: enough. Gotcha. Um, okay, uh, that's that's quite that was quite insightful into the world of recruiting. Thank you for that um, little discussion. And now I wanted to move on to something a bit different, and that is your book. Congratulations, your book just got published. It's very exciting to see it on Amazon. And uh, you, you. you showed me the hard copy on when we were talking on video. So how, how are you feeling about that? It must have been quite a lot of work that went into it.
1: Yes, I mean, um, it was quite a bit of work. Um, surprisingly, I wrote it, um, I think, within a few months. Mm-hmm. and. Um, I think the it's been an amazing, amazing learning curve in terms of writing a book. I think people say, "Oh, wow, you know, you wrote a book," or, you know, "Oh, I could, you know, that must be amazing." I would have never thought you know, of writing a book. And I, I have thought about writing books, but not not necessarily. I, I never thought I'd write a book. Um, so quickly,
2: yeah.
1: and I, I never, you know, you don't, I think like in your book, uh, you know, Confident Data Skills, as you, as you mentioned, you know, one doesn't sort of grow up and, and think that, you know, they want to become a data scientist necessarily when they're, when they're growing up, um, but I never thought growing up that I'm going to be writing a data scientist book of quotes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So. Oh, yeah, but I'm like, sorry,
0: I, for the listeners, I forgot to mention the name, the name of the book is
1: Data Scientist Book of Quotes. Please, please continue, Matt. Thank you. Thanks so much. Uh, yes, the book is available at the moment on Amazon uh, as a Kindle book, and um, uh, the paperback will be available hopefully in about um, from. Let's just say, on the safe side, it will be about maybe ten days to two weeks.
0: Yeah. Well, by the so, time this podcast goes live, it'll probably be available. we have okay. We'll go back live in a few weeks anyway. And I wanted to say that I had a few. I had a look at. Uh, some of the quotes in the book uh, like because I don't have it yet, but I'm definitely going to order it as soon as the hard copy is there. And I had a look at some of the uh, quotes, examples on Amazon. You can do like a quick preview of the book. i will show you a few pages. And so basically it's like broken down into different chapters uh, where you can, uh, you know, you get quotes from different people in that space. And like, for instance, here's one I like. Without a grounding in statistics, a data scientist is a data lab assistant. As Martin Jones, managing director in Cambriano Energy. Here's another one: Data scientists are kind of like the new Renaissance folk, uh, because data science is inherently multidisciplinary. John Foreman, vice president of product management of Mailchimp. So some very interesting ones like that make you pause and think. And it reminds me of the book I'm I'm reading now. Um, what is it called "The Art of Life." It's about um, like. Stoic philosophy, but explained in simple terms. And it's got a lot of these, not quotes, but kind of like little passages, and there's no mm-hmm. way you can just sit down and read and cover to cover in one day, because even though it's a small book, simply because it provokes so much thinking. And what I yes. about it, like about like it, a book like yours, like with quotes, where is you, you open up a page, and you read a couple of quotes, and then you sit down and you think about them, and it provokes some, you know, new ideas in you. And on top of that, what is what I found useful, or like I'm I'm looking forward to finding useful when I read your book, is that you broke it down into chapters by, you know, uh, tie like uh, grouping the quotes together by um, their different style or like not style, more um, topic. Like, so for chapter one, is like, what is a data science? It's top two, power and potential of data, data, data and data science, data is value. And then you go all the way on to like, um well, Let's go through them. Treatment of data, chapter four, not having the right data, potential risks of data, challenges with data, machine learning, deep learning, mm-hmm. artificial intelligence, data ethics and data privacy, future of data. So if I'm going to be like, I want to learn about, I want to like, I have a problem uh, on data ethics that I want to, I have a discussion with someone I need to have soon. I'm going to open up chapter 11 and I'll read a couple of posts on data ethics and privacy and get up to like. It, I Again, I haven't read it, but it sounds like a book good to have, you know, nice to have in your library for the time when you're going to need to pull out, you know, you have some free time or you need to like learn a bit of, about that. So, a really cool idea. How did you come up with the idea for the book?
1: Well, I, um, you know, I thought I, I definitely want to be, you know, I, I want to write a book and I thought I'm not at a point where I'm that... Um, knowledgeable yet to write an entire book. I mean, I'm fascinated with um, how to how to create a data driven organization, how to have a data driven culture. Uh, I'm fascinated, of course, with the role of the data scientist. But I thought, do I have enough knowledge yet to to write a book today? I mean, I don't mean you know within a few months. And and then suddenly, I just I saw some other books. Um, on the market in different subjects, and I thought, "Wow, you know what? I can actually write." And I, I checked it up and thought, "No, I didn't see any books like that out there." And I thought, "You know what? I can actually write a book um, of quotes because I know there's obviously books from literature, etc. You know, where they have quotes from people. <coughs> Sorry. And I also think that because I'm, I'm also I, I literally write quotes. In, I have these books, these journals.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, um, I think we talked about it before where, you know, I'm a huge Tony Robbins fan.
2: Yeah.
1: And, uh, um, and you know, he's, I have a few books of his with quotes. I have a journal of, of quotes by him. And he also quoted people in the past when he first started his career. And he literally has a book uh, of quotes from people that he admires. And I remember writing a lot of these quotes in my own journal. So I have a, a kind of uh, predisposition to to writing quotes because I think that this is where people provide these nuggets of knowledge and and also life experiences and it makes you really wonder uh, because I, I am a believer that life is very short
2: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, life can be very full
2: mm-hmm.
1: and I do view life as being half full and half empty mm-hmm. uh, and it's what you make of it and it really is about um, you know Making the the most of it and doing your absolute best every day and how you think and how, what you believe in. And if you believe the worst, then the worst will happen. If you believe in the best, the best will happen. Mm -hmm. You know, you have, you stumble along the way in life, but you need to pick yourself up, dust yourself off and keep going. And I'm a firm believer of that. And it's, um, um, there is a book that I read many, 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 many years ago. And that absolutely changed my whole life. Mm-hmm. And um, that book today, is I mean, it still is out there. And it's called The Power of Positive Thinking
2: mm-hmm. uh,
1: by Dr. Norman Vincent Peale. So mm-hmm. that was the book that for me, I'm going to say, uh, Oprah says that books are her friends. Well, that book not only was my friend when I was 17, but it also in a way saved my, my life in, in a sense because I... I didn't do well in school on a certain course and I remember um, literally failing in that course. Um, here I am publicly saying that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and what happened was that I read that book mm-hmm. during that summer and I enrolled in that course again. Mm-hmm. And I went from a failing mark to passing it with 89. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, you know. And did I become a genius in that course? No. I simply believed enough and I studied enough and gave my all to pass it. And I came in second in the class. Um, and I was able to continue my education as a result of it, because mm-hmm. I wouldn't have been able to actually go to university if I didn't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Gotcha,
0: okay. Wow, okay, that's uh, interesting, interesting way that you got to the idea for, for this book. Um, but yeah, I think it's gonna be a great, um, Great success and great help to many people in the field. We, I, I guess, you know we were talking about data science being a community, and mm-hmm. I think we needed some kind of resource like this uh, to be able to reference uh, different people. What's uh, my question? To you will be: What's your favorite quote from this uh, from your book? Yeah, I know you have like three hundred and twenty quotes in there or something. So what's yeah, What's your, right. what's your favorite one? Wow!
1: Oh, that's a question. Um
0: weren't ready for that were
1: you uh no i wasn't i wasn't i'm just thinking oh what do i say here you know what the thing is um i i also have many quotes which in the book i know that you maybe can't see it at the moment because of the fact that um you have the the sample Yeah, yeah um but i i will there's a lot of people in there who like warren buffett and tony robbins and um Bill okay Bill Gates you know um, that I have quotes from and something else which you just to mentioned that after each chapter there are exercises with questions and oh, wow. there's a note so people can actually answer the questions for themselves and for their organization mm-hmm. um, and um, so I'm gonna say one quote which really does stand out for me but it's not necessarily a data science quote mm-hmm. um, so, is it okay if I mention this one? Yeah, 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 of course. Okay. Your work is going to fill a large part of your life. And the only way to be truly satisfied is to do what you believe is great work. And the only way to do great work is to love what you do. If you haven't found it yet, keep looking. Don't settle. As with all matters of the heart, you'll know when you find it. That's by Steve Jobs. Wow. That's a really cool quote. And very, very
0: also uh Right in time for this podcast, right? Because we were talking about recruiting and headhunting, how to find mm-hmm. a job. Really cool. I really appreciate sharing that. Great. Hopefully, you know, that Thank will you. get people thinking. Um are you? is is your heart in what you're doing or is it not? Is uh, mm. Matt, is your heart in what you're doing? You've been doing it for a year. How are you feeling?
1: I love it. It's you know, it's what I mentioned to you earlier that i I'm excited by it for many reasons. Uh, and thank you for your question because I'm excited with the fact that it's it's fresh. Mm-hmm. It's really in demand. It's much needed. You really can work in a much more efficient manner. And when I talk about sustainability, this is what I'm talking about. Really, you know, when I heard a statistic uh, a while back that we only use, um, and I think I'm going to say We only use about, and this is even the max, and I think it's actually 1%, but I'm going to say 5%. I'm going to be even more, I'm going to be, I'm going to raise it up a bit more and say that a company or organization only uses 5% of its entire data. Wow. That is shocking. Mm -hmm. Shocking. Uh, That they don't fully utilize their data. And a data scientist and others in the data science arena can fully, uh, utilize all the data. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And, um, I think that's, that's where, you know, to be on that sort of cutting edge of a profession that is so much needed. And I'm going to say something else that is, has to do with, with life. It has to do with companies who are out there, small and medium companies, um, that, Don't have a lot of resources, that don't have a lot of time and money, but they're able then to fully utilize their data. It saves them time, it saves them money, it saves them hardship. It saves them. um, I can tell you from my own personal experience if I had known that I can maximize my data in my own past, I would say that I would be in a different place today. Mm -hmm. Um, But I say that in a very honest and very uh, open manner that, you know, by utilizing a data scientist for one's own business, either as a consultant or as an employee, you mm-hmm. are working in such a more efficient and effective manner. So yeah, I am very passionate about it. And, and I, um, it, it is something which you know, I, I do love. And, and I also love the fact that this community is such that it's a very open, very giving, very new, very helpful, uh, and you use the word sharing.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I think it's something which uh, the community itself is very helpful, very, uh, very giving, and willing to to help each other, mm-hmm. uh, very, very much so. And, and in terms of resources, and LinkedIn is a, is a primary example. I mean, we we wouldn't have been talking today if it wasn't for LinkedIn. And LinkedIn is, you know, you see so many books being offered, so many resources being offered um algorithms, etc. I use this and I'm learning from this, and this is how I got my job, and this is how I this is what I did. And um and there's a lot of sharing. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, wonderful. Thank you so much, Matt, for for those insights. I totally totally appreciate um your your comments and it's exciting to be part of this community. Exciting to be part of this you know broader um group of people who are all passionate about the same one thing, which is a data science. So thank you so much. I think we'll we'll wrap up the podcast on that. Really appreciate you okay. coming on the show today, sharing your insights. Um, well, thank you for inviting me. Where can you, where would you say is the best place for our listeners to find you, contact you, get in touch or follow um, your career or maybe some people are looking for jobs and would like to get in touch with a recruiter. There might be companies that are looking for a recruiter to help them out. Where's the best place to do that?
1: Well, um, the, um, the website is, so for the business, the recruitment, ChangeForce is the business. And um, as I mentioned, it is an exclusively um, data scientist recruitment practice. So mm-hmm. that's on changeforceinc.com, which is so changeforceinc.com. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, my details are there. So in terms of phone number and, uh, the company sort of details, uh, I'm on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's on, you know, Matt Corey, it's M A T T and then C O R E Y. So I'm on LinkedIn. If someone wants to ask me a question, um, so there's that and the, and the business, um, details will be on the website. Mm -hmm. Um, the book, as, as you mentioned, kindly, thank you for that again, is, is it is on Amazon. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's that's pretty much it. I mean I'm I'm um, you know I'm the kind of person who either myself or my staff are very you know we do our best to help people um, and uh, to find them roles relevant roles for them and yes it is about data science, but we're always open to here to help people in general. Gotcha, gotcha. And in just, terms just of data science professionals, yeah. Yeah,
0: just to reiterate the book's called Data Scientist Book of Quote. All right. Well, we'll have all those links on the show notes for this episode. And thank on you. that note, thank you very much again, Matt, for coming on the show and sharing your all your wonderful insights and knowledge with us.
2: Thank
1: you, Kirill. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for your invitation again. So there
0: you have it. That was Matt Corey, a data science recruiter and author. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and I hope you will pick up a copy of Amad's book, The Data Scientist's book, book of Quotes. Uh, as mentioned on the podcast, I think it's a very necessary tool for people, especially data scientists, to have to just have, take time to ponder philosophically about our industry and about the work that we're doing and can maybe come up with some new ideas based off or inspired by other people's quotes, uh, people who are leading this space. And um, I'm curious to find out what your favorite part of the episode was. My favorite part was probably when we talked about the intricate role of a data science recruiter, a good recruiter, not somebody who just tries to match the job description and find the right people who exactly match the specifics, but somebody who can talk to the clients about managing their expectations and uh, maybe adapting them to what uh, who's available on the market and what kind of skills. Um, are there and understanding their actual needs because sometimes companies create these job descriptions and they even though they describe what they think they want it's not actually what they want and on the other hand a good recruiter should also work with the candidates to help bring out the true nature of their experience the true value that they can bring to a company and help them see more about themselves than they actually think. So see those uh, hidden maybe gems in their experience and their expertise and their background that might be valuable to uh, different job roles and different uh, companies. So all in all, it was a fun episode and I hope you learned a lot. You can and probably you should connect with Matt because it's always good to have a recruiter in your network on LinkedIn. We'll include Matt's URL in the show notes, which you can find at www.superdayscience.com slash 179. There you'll also find all of the links to the materials we mentioned in this episode plus the transcript for today's show. And on that note, I hope you enjoyed the episode. I can't wait to see you back here next time. And until then, happy analyzing.